0: Well, hey, good morning, Harvest, and I uh, hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, can I say this, uh, Merry Christmas? Like, is this, is this too soon? Uh, are we already there? Anyone have their tree up already? Come on, it's okay, no shame there. Okay, now who had their tree up last week already? No shame there. Okay, awesome, let's go, ready to go. Well, hey, my name is Jordan. I'm the high school pastor here, and I'm really excited to be here to open up God's word. And so you can go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, We're gonna be in Exodus 20, verse 18 through 20. And there's some people coming down. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. If you don't have one, that's yours. Take it home with you, please. So we're gonna start in Exodus 20, verse 18 through 20, but then eventually we're gonna end up in Psalm 19, and that will be a little bit of a journey, but I'm excited to get there. I don't know if you're like me, uh, I've really enjoyed this last series that we've been in, a Ten Commandments series that we've uh, been in in this fall. It's been super impactful on my life and and in uh, um, in my relationship with my wife and in our small group. And, and I think what I'm really grateful for is, is the men that stand up here week after week who boldly uh, preach the word of God without shame. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful uh, to be here today and to kind of uh, put an end cap on this series. And so what we're what we're thinking and praying about is, is uh, uh, I kept coming up uh, of this phrase um, in Psalm 19, where it talks about the law of the Lord being reviving to the soul and and rejoicing of the heart and and pure and and enlightening of the eyes. And I don't know if those things ring true for you this morning, but when I hear those, I go, I want that. Like I could really use some rejoicing of the heart this morning and, and, and some enlightening of the eyes, whatever that means. I want it. I just kept uh, like asking myself, how do you and I get there? Like, how, how do we get there from discipline of the Ten Commandments to delight? Do you view the Ten Commandments like that? Like delight, I, I can't wait to hear from what God's going to say. Uh, this summer I was putting together a, a dresser from Ikea. I don't know if you guys have shopped at, at Ikea, but they send you uh, this box and there's like no way a dresser fits in there. And you start taking all the pieces and it's like a puzzle and there's these weird screws and things that I don't know, I've never seen uh, before. But being a guy and being a homeowner, uh, I sit there and I look at that and I say, oh, I could do that, I could put it together. Like the last thing in my mind is to go to the instructions and be like, wow, this is amazing. Thank you, Ikea, for instructions. This is awesome. I, I, I try to figure it out myself, right? And, and I know the instructions will tell me that I can't use power tools, so I'm automatically out, right? I, I just, I, I won't go there. How do you and I view the instructions of God this morning over this last week, over this last series? Uh, are they good suggestions from God? But hey, God, I, I got this. I can do this on my own. Thanks for uh, the, the, the little bit of wisdom, Or do you, like in Psalm 1, find your delight in the law of the Lord, where you meditate on it day and night?" see, Psalm 19, verse 10 says this. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than, than also honey and, and drippings of the honeycomb. Um, we, we don't have a lot of honeycomb in our house. Um, we also don't have a lot of gold. Um, but we have the next best thing in, in our home, and that is um, a Michigan pure maple syrup. I don't know if you're like me, we're purist in that way, and my kids absolutely love maple syrup, and so occasionally we'll make pancakes, and I'll have to put maple syrup on the side because the two things can't cross over, right, on the plate, because kids, super picky, um, and so my daughter, Isla, she's two, um, I'll put a little bit of maple syrup in a bowl, and I'll turn around, look back, and she is just drinking this stuff out of a bowl, like, and she's like, more please, right, and I'm like, no, you're gonna get sick, absolutely not, how do you and I get there in our relationship with Jesus when it comes to obeying God's word from discipline to delight in the instructions of God? And I feel like the answer is subtly in Exodus 20 and Psalm 19, so we're gonna start in Exodus 20 first. For context, it's, it's where we've been in this last series. Exodus 20 is God giving the 10 commandments to the people of Israel. They're waiting at the base of Mount Sinai and, um, and God's instructing them. And so um, it says in, in the chapter before, in uh, 19 verse 3, it says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have, been, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant you shall be my treasured possessions among the people for all the earth is mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests a holy nation these are the words that you shall speak to the people of israel and so moses tells them that hey this is this is what god said about us this is great news and the people are like sounds good to me right that, that sounds great let's do that um we'll trust god in this way And so God tells Moses, before we get to the Ten Commandments, uh, hey, set a boundary around the mountain. My presence is going to descend. There will be flashes of lightning. Uh, There will be clouds. Uh, It will be this big display, but make it holy. Set it apart. Set a boundary around. Don't come up to the presence of the Lord. Send no one up the mountain or else they will die, right? Like Merry Christmas, It's awesome. So then that's how we get to uh, then the Ten Commandments. And then right after the Ten Commandments is Exodus 20, 18 through 21. That's where we're going to be right now. Look at verse 18. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and, and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick of the darkness where God was. You see, what Moses says here is really important. He's saying, hey, good news. Don't be afraid of judgment. This is scary, yes, but be in awe of God. God is going to test you so that you do not fall into sin. So the, the, this, this uh, theme around here is don't fear the consequences, fear God. And that's the big question for today. It's do I have a right fear of God? Do you and I have a right fear of God this morning? You see, if someone were to ask you, what is a right fear of God? How would you answer them? What would you say? When, when you think of the phrase, fear of God, what comes to mind? Maybe it's the classic uh, image of the old like Southern Baptist preacher who's like red in the face, who's trying to instill the fear of God in you so that you turn or burn, right? Or, or maybe it's a father that's really, really mad at his kids who's just trying to get them to do something that he, that he wants, or maybe it's a coach that's like super fired up. There's been a lot of great sports that happen over the weekend. Uh, we can't get into what happened yesterday or else we'll have like Michigan fans running around the hallways in here. So we're just not gonna go there. Um, but whatever it is for you, the fear of the Lord is not something that's usually viewed in a positive way. And, and, and here's my concern. If we as believers and as a church don't have a biblical perspective of fear, we miss out on so much of the promises of God. Like, look at Proverbs 1. It's gonna be up on the screen. Proverbs 1 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 14, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn from the snares of death. Or Proverbs 28, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity you might be thinking okay well that's all old testament stuff jordan the god of the new testament he's way nicer right he's like blonde hair blue-eyed jesus like he he's just a great friend he loves to hang out with sheep he's a nice guy that's old god old testament god's mean right first john 4:18 there's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear But if you keep reading, it says, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, which means if you and I are in Christ, then yes, we have no fear of punishment, right? Because Christ bore that on the cross for us. But you have to look at what Jesus says about fear. In Matthew 10, it says, and do not fear those who kill the body, Uh, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I think that's a great verse. Uh, I think I'm gonna put that on a coffee mug and give it to my family for Christmas, right? Anyone in on that, right? Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear consequences, but fear the Lord. You see, fear as a verb in our dictionary would be described as two ways. And I think this is really important for us. It the first is this, a uh, fear is to be afraid of something or to fear the worst. Or it's to have a reverential awe or fear of God. Do you guys see that? Like even, even the Webster dictionary picks up on there is a fear of the worst or there is a fear in God. Oswald Chambers says this, and I love this quote. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So, so the reality is, if, if you're a person in this room, you have been exposed to fear in some way. And, and not only do we experience fear, but you guys know that we are created to fear, right? Like Psalm 139 says this, this is David, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Like this awe, this reverence is hardwired in us you see, fear in the biblical sense review, uh, reveals more about uh, or less about what you and I feel and more about what you believe, right? Like we, we growing up, I know I growing up, I feared the hypothetical monster that was underneath my bed. And so my solution of this was to uh, put my feet underneath my comforter and kind of like wrap it around, you know, so that way nothing could get right in my bed. Like, like if my comforter is going to stop a monster from getting to me but I don't believe in that monster because I don't believe monsters are real. You see, you and I don't have to go far out of the 10 commandments to see that this is a huge theme throughout scripture, and it has massive implications on how you and I obey the 10 commandments today. And so by means of example, we're gonna look at the nation of Israel Um, For God's people, it wasn't a matter of if they should fear or not fear, but that their fear was misplaced. They had a misplaced fear of God. And so here's point number one. A misplaced fear of God will never produce joyful obedience. A misplaced fear of God will never produce joyful obedience. You see, right after the Ten Commandments are given, we see the fruit of misplaced fear from God's people. In verse 18, at the end of it, it says that they were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off, right? That was the fruit of their fear. And so we're gonna look at uh, three fruits of misplaced fear. And the first is this, it's dread, dread. See, at this point, I don't think uh, a, a barrier around the mountain for the people of Israel was necessary. They were already terrified. No one wanted to ascend the hill. I for sure wouldn't after seeing all those clouds and lightning. I don't even like going outside when it's lightning, right? So I wouldn't go up there. And, and dread always produces distance from God. You see, on top of just a display of lightning and thunder, they were just given 10 commands that would dominate their life. And when, when we as people uh, are put under the, 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 the burden of the law that leads and shows us and reveals our sin, an unchecked sin will always create distance between you and God. Because I don't know if you guys have picked up on this over this last fall, but the law is all-encompassing. It means it, it impacts every aspect of your life. It doesn't leave any stone unturned. See, the law demands your worship. It demands your time, your relationships, your possessions. It demands all of it in the first commandment. You see, we see uh, examples of this happen in in ministry all the time where where you get a a student or or a person who is like really engaged and loves the idea of community, and and then when it comes down to it, they they hear what they're required of, they they know what's going on in their heart, and then what happens is slowly they start to pull back and disappear. And, And they may be here present, but there's distance because they know that they're messed up, right, that they have issues, and when God demands holiness, there's distance there. Which, by the way, just, just a note, God's not surprised where you are right now. Like, he, he knows your heart. He knows what you're going through, and, and what he's desiring for these people is that they would actually draw near to him, that they would come to him. He knows exactly what their issue is, and yet they draw away, misplaced fear of God will only create distance between you and God. The second fruit of misplaced fear is this, it's burden. It's burden. Exodus 20 verse 19, um, they say to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. You see, if we ran through a, a, a 10 commandments test based off of your actions over last week, based off of my actions over last week, how would I do? Right? I know you're like, we're on break right now. Don't talk about tests. Uh, how, how would you do? Uh, let's go through just two of them. Right? Number one it is no other gods before me. God alone is your hope and your trust. I, I know for me, that would be a no. Right? What about number two? No idols before me. Did I value something above God this week? Right, that, okay, so anyone else? O for two in the first two commands. Um, my son holds me to a pretty high standard at home, just, just to make sure you guys are okay with that. Um, he, he walked up to me the other day, and, uh, and he gave me this chart, and there's a picture on the screen, and he says, Dad, this is how you've been acting today. <laughs> the, the red's not good, right? <laughs> okay? So uh, I sent him to his room. He's not allowed the color anymore, right? <laughs> Here, you're done taking away your stuff, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm joking. For me, it was a, it, it was a great opportunity, a, a, and he was right. Actually, the red should have been much higher. Um, he he was right. He he brought those things to me, a, and for me, it, it was it was an opportunity to get low, to get on this level, and to say, you know what, Theo, you're right. You're five years old, but you're right. Uh, and, and it was an opportunity for me to humble myself. Doesn't happen often. You see, the law doesn't sleep. It's 24-7, no breaks, no days off, total submission. That's what the law demands. And you gotta remember, Jesus doesn't make the law any easier. He doesn't make it any lighter for us as believers. He actually makes it more heavy. He says, hey, it's not just about your actions. I care and I demand your heart. Do you worship me with your heart as well? He double downs on drawing out the motivation so how long did the nation of Israel lasts in obeying the 10 commandments? Not, not long, right? It's like moments. So Moses goes back up the mountain and God is giving Moses more laws and regulation um, to the people and the people get bored. They just don't know what to do. And so if you were to fast forward to Exodus 32, um, it, it's, it's kind of a couple, cha- uh, a couple yeah, chapters ahead, but realistically, it's just God giving Moses instructions. The next moment we see them, um, they're waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. And when Moses hasn't come down yet, they're like, well, he's dead, right? Like he, he's a goner, let's move on. We might as well make new gods for ourselves that will protect us. Like that's their immediate response. And so Aaron tells them to take off the jewelry which is, what a bad friend of Moses. And and, and they form a golden calf to worship. And then they threw a party. That's the immediate response of God's people when God gives the 10 commandments and Moses doesn't come back down for a little bit. Just like that, commandments one and two, broken. Has this ever happened with your kids? Where, where you go uh, and and, and you're with them and then you leave for like 30 seconds and you come back and they've managed to like pick a couple locks and and climb on the counters and like spread all their toys everywhere. And you're like, how did this happen? I just left. And and I love what God says to Moses next in Exodus 32. He says, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, go down from the mountain, your people whom you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. God's even at that point like, hey, this is your problem, Moses, you figure it out. We'll move on from there. You see last week, uh, our dog, Honey, um, uh, got into some, some things. Uh, my, uh, again, my kids, I think unlocked one of the two doors that were on her kennel. And so our dog got out and we we're gone for like an hour. Um, and, and of course it didn't get any, like, any food. It got into hand warmers. Right? So I started ripping up these hand warmers. And, um, and so when my wife got home after an hour, there was like all of this black powder everywhere. And uh, yeah, and so like we called the poison uh, control and like the vet. Um, and they were like, well, like what's going on with the dog? Is it like throwing up? Is it like laying down? Is it alive? I'm, like, yeah, it's alive. Like it's, it seems to be fine. It's probably like pretty warm, but like other than that, like it's, <laughs> it seems to be good. You see, for for you and I, left on our own, it's only a matter of time before we mess up and break God's law. We'll never outperform or in our own strength muster up enough obedience to live out the law perfectly. And misplaced fear makes our inability to keep the law feel like an unbearable burden to carry. Which that burden leads us to number three. The third fruit of misplaced fear is this, it's despair. Is despair. You see, the law is perfect. It's exactly the way God wanted it to be. There are no mistakes. He doesn't backtrack on it. There are no errors. You see, the problem isn't with the law. The problem is with us and our inability to keep the law. A wrong fear of God or even a misguided fear of God will only foster a broken relationship with Jesus And so I want to ask you, coming out of the Ten Commandments series, are you drifting away? Are you moving away from God? And you may be close in proximity to the things of God. You may be involved in your small group. You might be here on Sunday morning. You might be doing all the right things, but relationally, there's distance there. And then, therefore, there's no blessing in the relationship. Is your relationship with God more of a burden than a blessing? Do the words dread, burden, despair describe your relationship with God right now? You see, so here we have the law laid out to the people and they stand guilty before a holy and just God who at the end of the day will rightly judge them for their sin. And they say to Moses in verse 19, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Right? Some Thanksgiving message, right? (laughs) Right? like not like attitude of gratitude or something that's in there. You guys ready for some good news? You see, number two, a right relationship with God requires a mediator. A right relationship with God requires a mediator. You see, a mediator is someone who stands in the gap. It brings two parties together. And Moses had to be that mediator between God and the people. Back in Exodus three, God actually chose him and said, you are going to be this for the people, for me. Right, Moses would mediate by way of hearing and obeying the law. He would make sure that people lived as God commanded them to live. And that would include testing them, keeping them in line. But Moses would also reveal their sin. He'd be the spokesperson for God, not just to Pharaoh, but also to God's people. You see, he would be the mediator with, with, with the motivation behind the law and making sure their heart was right. Moses would mediate by going into the presence of God on their behalf, right? In verse 21, it says the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick of darkness where God was. I don't know about you, but I'm not going there, right? I'm not going up that hill. Uncharted territory where no one wanted to go or could go, Moses went into the presence of a holy God. But I think what's different is that Moses knew he had sin and checked it before God, He sought out forgiveness. That's the difference between him and the people. That's the difference between us living in a right fear of God and and running from uh, from him. Do we check our heart before a holy God? See, Moses was not only the spokesperson for God, but he also stood in the gap for the people. In Exodus 32, after the whole idol incident, um, God says this, I've seen this people and behold, they're stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, let my wrath burn hot against them that I may consume them in order that I make a great nation out of you. I don't know about you, but if I'm Moses, I'm taking that offer. That sounds good. Let's delete these guys. Let's start afresh. But Moses implored to the Lord, his God, and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Turn from your burning anger and relent of this disaster against your people. And the Lord relented from this disaster that he had spoken bringing on his people. You see, you and I are not separate from that need of someone to stand in the gap on our behalf. We in our own strength cannot approach a holy God. I'll never be good enough. My resume of good deeds will never be good enough to go before God. But Moses was a mediator for some people. Jesus is the mediator for all people. Right, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. You see, Moses was a good mediator. He was probably the best in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the perfect mediator. Even Hebrews 3 talks about Jesus being counted uh, um, worthy more glory than Moses. You see, here's three ways that Jesus makes all relationship right with God. And the first is this, he bears my judgment. He bears my judgment he he took on what you and i deserved because of god or because of sin we are separated from god and jesus would step in on our behalf and so like the people of israel could not approach god we can approach god in confidence because he stands in that gap as our great high priest but it's important to understand that jesus doesn't get rid of the requirements of the law he doesn't just like forget them number 2 he fulfills them he fulfills my requirements you see, Moses could never perfectly fulfill the law because he wasn't perfect. Remember back in Egypt, he, he killed a guy, right? He killed a guy and he hid his body. Moses was a lawbreaker. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. He worshiped God alone. He honored his name. He kept the Sabbath. He obeyed his parents. He loved his enemies, told the truth. And he did everything God commanded him to do, 100% submission and fulfillment to the law. See, what do you and I need to do in order to get our requirements fulfilled? Because that sounds awesome. It's this: has put your faith in Jesus. Trust Him. Surrender your life to him in awe and reverence. I want to ask, what are you still holding on to in fear rather than trusting over to God? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your future. Well, whatever that is, surrender that over to God in faith, knowing that he has taken on the greatest punishment that we deserved. When we do that, we get to experience Romans 8, where it says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free uh, free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit." That sounds pretty awesome to me, right? Freedom from the law, free from dread, burden, and despair, free from separation of God. For what purpose? So we can just live however we want, right? No, it's so that we would walk in obedience to him, that we would live by the spirit, not by the flesh. And that's number three. Lastly, Jesus frees me to obey. He frees me to obey. You see, Jesus as the mediator teaches us how to live, how to obey the will of God. And we don't just have to like, out of obligation, keep the law. We get to, because of Christ, we are finally able to keep the law. We can worship God in the right heart because he's given us a new heart, Right? We can, through Christ, honor God. We can rest in the finished work of Christ and keep the Sabbath. We can be totally satisfied in him and all these things made possible through the work of Jesus Christ that we may glorify him and enjoy him forever. This guy, uh, he actually works on staff with us. He's a great guy. His name's Jake. He's a 20s 20s guy. And and he said this, "At, at the heartbeat of the gospel is a transformation of our fear, from dread to joy. It's the awe of God that produces joyful obedience. And so how how do you and I know if we have a right fear of God, right? That's the big question. How do you and I know? Number three, a right fear of God is this. It's an awe of God fueled by dependence on God. It's an awe of God fueled by dependence on God. You see, fear has two parts. A right fear of God has two parts. The first is this, it's reverence it's reverence. It's living in awe of God's holiness, his power, his might, that he is in 100% control of all things at all times. And the second part is this, it's rest. It's rest, that I can run to his comfort, his grace, his love, his mercy. Um, My oldest brother, Ian, he's always been bigger than me. That's just how it is. He's the oldest brother. I'm, I'm the fourth brother. Um, and he's always been taller and stronger and probably faster. We haven't raced in a long time. In um, my first year of college, I went to Cornerstone University, and he worked there. And any time my brother saw me on campus, he would drop what he was doing. He, he, would, he would run after me, and, and he'd pick me up off the ground and just literally squeeze me. And in the deepest of Scottish accents, he would just squeeze me and whisper in my ear, you're so tiny. And he would just hold me. And it was like one of these moments where I was like, like, like overly joyed, but also like I'm trying to keep my street cred, you know, like, okay, this is, this is enough. And uh, it's, it's a great um, image of, of what a right fear of God is. Because at the same time, my brother, he could crush me, right? He's way stronger than I am but he's also my brother. I know that he will go to bat for me, that he has my back, that if anyone were to come after me, he would stand in that gap. That's why Proverbs 14, 26 says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. This is what we've been talking about in our uh, high school ministry series uh, called He's the King. And and it comes from, uh, the name comes from this uh, C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Some of you guys may have heard of it. And there's a scene where Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan is a lion. And she was like, well, uh, well, I thought he was a man. And so she tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And she asks if Aslan is safe to which Mr. Beaver replies, safe. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Right, And that's the reality, that God is both lion and lamb, that he's big enough to carry the greatest weight, the the weight of sin, uh, my sin and your sin, and yet at the same time, we're able to approach him because he's our great high priest. Do you have a right fear of God? Do you live in an awe of God that transforms the way that you live, that's fueled by dependence on God? Why would I move away from him if that's where I have refuge how do we know? Is there a spiritual personality test that I, can, that I can take to figure out if I'm hitting the mark in these ways? Psalm 19 is a great place to check our heart. And so uh, it, it's a great um, place for us to wrap up this 10 Commandments series. And so turn to Psalm 19. We're gonna start in verse seven. Psalm 19, verse seven. It talks about the law of the Lord. Verse seven says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than, also, um, than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them, there is great reward." Do you see the fruit in Psalm 19 um, in your life today? You see, there's, there's good fruits of genuine awe. And the first is this, it's, it's revival of the soul. It's revival of the soul. We see that in verse seven. And this phrase revival in the soul it, it is meant to be an image of, of, of like food that satisfies you, that nourishes you, that keeps you strong. Is that God's word for you today? Do you run to God for strength? Do you pursue his presence? Does his word sustain you? When it does, that's a right awe of God. The second is this, it's wisdom. God's word brings us instructions in how to live, how to think, what to do. Do we take God at his word, trusting that when he says something that he's going to do it? God is faithful I can trust that his intentions are good, that when I read the 10 commandments, he's not withholding from you and I. He's actually promising blessing. And when I don't understand, I can run to him in faith because I have a right fear of God. Do you run to God for wisdom? The third is this, it's rejoicing of the heart. It's rejoicing of the heart. A right fear of God will lead to a rejoicing of the heart. I want that type of joy, like I, I want that type of joy that pierces to the depth of my heart. And as you saw by the chart that my son drew, I really could use some of that, right? Like I have some room to grow. I wanna ask you this, can you turn to the person next to you and ask, am I a joyful person? Okay, now ask the person that you didn't come with on the other side. Are you, are you a joyful person? Maybe they'll have a better answer for you. I'm, I'm safe up here, right? So, I, so I'm good. Is our life an overflow of the abundance of God and the promises in his word? The next fruit is this, is purity and living. Purity and living. It's not having to walk in the darkness anymore. It's being able to live in the light, knowing that we can run to Jesus for forgiveness that we can pursue his presence, that we can live in the abundant blessings that he promises us in his word. That is an indicator that you have a right fear of God when you don't fear what people think of you. Like I can go to my small group and I can say anything and I know that they won't just let me get away with it, right, they'll check my heart. They'll say, hey, Jordan, there's something wrong there. You're not submitting to God, but there's no fear of judgment, why, because they love Jesus and my sin has been paid for, right? Do you live in the light of God's word? I want to ask you these questions. This is just between you and the Lord. Do you see the fruit of Psalm 19 in your life today? Do you feel like you have a right fear of God? Is your soul revived? Where in your life do you find yourself retreating from God? I want you to ask these questions and, and take some time to process. And we're gonna end this time the same way uh, that Psalm 19 ends. And that's in a time of reflection before the Lord. And so in a second, I'm gonna invite the ushers up and we're actually gonna take communion. And communion is a way that you and I as believers, as followers of Christ can remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross on our behalf. That he really died. That there was real blood shed for you and I. It's a great time to to check your heart and say, God, you know all things. There's nothing hidden from you. I'm an open book and there should be some weight there. But yet at the same time, it's an opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that that payment is final, that there's freedom there when we seek after his forgiveness that he is the final mediator between us and God, and we can go to him in faith. Not as just some random people, but as children, we can approach our father. Like you and I can talk to God right now in this moment. And if you don't know what to say, read through Psalm 19, verse 12 through 14. It. It's actually a prayer that David prays. And in verse 14, he says, let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. And if you know King David's story, you know that it's a messy one, right? A life once marked by sin and shame, now redeemed because of what Christ did for him and because of the forgiveness in God. And so if you're a follower, I'd encourage you to take a um, a communion with us Ushers, you can come forward right now and I'm gonna close in prayer and and the elements will be passed around as uh, we sing this last song. And then we're gonna take communion together after the song. In a right fear of God, let's run to him, pursue his presence and find rest. Let's pray. Father, you are good. There's no one like you. You are holy, you're set apart, you're in control at all times. God, we are in awe of who you are. And God, we confess that we are not in control, that we constantly desire control. God, I know my heart desires to be on the throne of my life. And so God, forgive us of that. Forgive me of not running to you and running away from you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the perfect mediator that we can run and find grace and mercy, no matter what the sin is, how great it is. God, I will not outdo the cross of Jesus Christ. God, thank you that we can run to you and find grace and mercy. God, give us humility to approach you honestly in awe and in reverence. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.